Initializing host playback. Welcome to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast, the podcast about all things metal and everything in between. Seriously, what the hell even is an upload schedule? I thought everything was back to normal right after Labor Day, but no. All of a sudden, I had to move as fast as fucking possible, and only then did I get settled in and catch everyone's favorite seasonal flu. <laughs> oh, oh, that's disgusting. Why is it purple? Coming up, Dawn of Existence returns to talk about their new album, Ancient Arts, going track by track through that beast. Plus, joining us will be death metal band Augurium with the new album, Unearthly Will. Plus, we talk about everyone's favorite subject, Canada, and the online media world, all the confusion that comes with it. And coming up in a few short moments, we get some much-needed Bandcamp Friday plugs to give out and tell you all about two albums we didn't get a chance to talk about on release. All this and so much more. So let's not waste much more time and let's get into the show. I'm Tom McKay and this is the Metal Robot Podcast. But before we get into those albums that we missed, we got some housekeeping to take care of. Metal Robot Robot That's right, it's that time of the month again. That came out so wrong. Bandcamp Friday has just passed. Now, if you're unaware of what it is, it is the first Friday of the month where Bandcamp foregoes any royalty payments on their side, uh, royalty fees, sorry, uh, for them and gives 100% of the profits from any sales to the creators posting their music and merch on Bandcamp for one day only. And on that day, I asked you on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as well, but no one really talked about that one. It's fine. Fine. Uh, For your Bandcamp links to share the love. And boy, did you all deliver. There's a lot to get through. I'm not going to be able to get to all of them just for timing's sake. But if all Bandcamp submissions were going to be linked in the podcast description below. So I'll try at least in the audio form, to shout out as many of them as I possibly can, as quickly as I possibly can. And of course, as again, you can find their links down in the podcast description. So with that in mind, let's start rattling off some fucking names here. Uh, The first one up is Pressure with their brand spanking new power metal EP, Heroes Will Fall. It's power metal, but uh, there's a great Viking tinge to it that is great to hear if you're feeling up some of that Odin's beard and you really want something to feel up Odin's beard. That made no fucking sense. Of course, we can't forget about uh, Cryophilic filling us in with their new album, Damned and Decayed. Now, you really cannot go wrong with some Canadian tech death. And Cryophilic, I've seen you in the comments a ton on socials, and I've been meaning to ask you, hit me up by email. Let me, like, let's get you guys on the show sometime. I love your stuff. Next up, we've got some black thrash in the form of command, though consulting translate, apparently it's pronounced that, but whatever. Uh, Stubborn Arsenal is the album name. It came out a couple years ago, and it is face-melting which is the only safe way to describe this album. Non-thrashers enter at your own risk. Next up, Gortrude Gornoise. They submitted an entire label of music, uh, Delirium Psychosis Productions. And yeah, one look at the banner tells you everything that you need. And I am now smelling sounds just looking at it. Great work, guys. All right, let's get a podcast favorite out of the way here. Dust Prophet's new album, One Last Look Upon the Sky. I burnt the shit out of that ad for, um, what was it? Uh, when the Axe Falls? 
I think, that, yeah, when the axe falls, I burned the shit out of that ad on the podcast, and I can't count how many times I did that. So, yeah, Dust Prophet is a definite recommend if you're into some of that stoner, sludgy kind of uh, metal. It's good shit. Uh, next up, we've got Amish Hex. It's the new single from Almost Honest. Shane Reed writes, for fans of Wizards, Butter, and the Amish. So, I'll let your imagination run on that one. Okay, I'm going to try to pronounce this one. I do apologize if I mispronounce this one, but uh, Subhankra from Istanbul and their album Rotting Helios. Take a wild guess here. Is it black metal or... Yeah, it's black metal. <laughs> it's That's not a bad thing, though. It's not a bad thing. It's pretty good black metal, too. It's a great use of atmosphere uh, and the melodies and frog noises were a great addition to Go Nuts. Next up, we've got a Rip Van Ripper's Passage. It's doom metal under the influence of death and black metal, according to them. And frankly, I'm in no position to disagree. Next up, we got some stoner metal out of Tampa, Florida. Florist submitted their merch, to which, yes, you should absolutely go check that shit out. Stickers, buttons, and tees. Oh, my! Uh, next one, I'm gonna, I do apologize if I'm mispronouncing your names here. Uh, Danny Rosenauer writes, Hey, this isn't exactly metal, but some of it is prog rock, so I'll throw my hat in the ring. Well, yes, in fact, you can. We may be simple metal folk here on the podcast, but we do like to broaden our horizons a little bit. He said while the elitists are trying to burn down his door as we speak. Link in the description. Orkumentary, orc metal, for those who wish the bad guys won in Lord of the Rings. There is no better way to describe it. I actually think I talked about that album on an episode of the 10 Second Purge a while back. It's really good shit. Go check it out. Sam Astaroth dropped a new album. Hell yeah, dude. Demon Time, a nine-track uh, mixtape produced by Nate. If I'm mispronouncing any of this, I'm so sorry. Um, look, if you liked his uh, Demon Core single, which we've promoted on this podcast as well, you're in for a good one here. Folks, don't sleep on his shit. It's good. Next up, we got some uh, some Long Island alt metal, Brina Elizabeth. Now, here's the thing. This is a promotion, but I will say you that you definitely could do a lot better with some better production. Otherwise, there's a lot of talent underneath here. I really like, uh, in fact, the acoustic version of Ghosted in particular. Seriously, go check it out and let's get her some fun so she can get a better producer. I'm not like not trying to be a dick, but. There's a lot of talent here, and I wish, I wish the production was better to showcase that even more. And last one here on the podcast, uh, Urbane's debut album, A Soul Purged, on the Hypnotic Dirge Records Bandcamp. If you're looking for some hard-hitting black metal, sonically and emotionally, then yeah, you're in for a real treat on this one. I, I'm actually, I actually don't give ratings in this particular segment of Bandcamp Fridays because that's not what we're doing here. It's not a review. It's just a, hey. These are some that's some shit you should check out. But now for this one, a solid 14 out of 15. This is what it means to take a genre and go beyond with it. And of course, as mentioned, all links are in the description of this podcast. So go show some love and tell them the robot sent you. All right. With that out of the way, let's now take a look at some missed albums. Ronnie Romero's Too Many Lies, Too Many Masters. It came out on uh, September 15th, which, in fact, is a few days before my birthday. That was fun. Also, quick thing, uh, to, to just a bit of housekeeping for this one. I did an interview with uh, Ronnie Romero himself, uh, I think a week before this album came out. So make sure you uh, subscribe to the podcast, and part one will be out 
in the next episode. Ronnie Romero is a name that I'm sure many heavy metal fans need no introduction to. The dude is a prolific singer within the heavy metal genre. His voice can be found in so many modern day classics and is now releasing his own original music where he basically had 100% of the control in the final compositions. And if you ever had any questions about his chops before, yeah, this album puts those to rest. From the epic quest of Castaway on the Moon to the stompin' radio-ready hit of Mountain of Light, the grooving title track, and the headbanging Not Just a Nightmare, it's safe to say this dude knows what he's doing in the songwriting front. It's a great display of heavy metal greatness, but it's his voice, in reality, that is the real star of this album, in my opinion at least. I make no mistake in saying his voice is good enough to sit among some of the modern-day greats of heavy metal singers. The grit, the veracity, and scope of his range is unmatched in a lot of the heavy metal that's coming out nowadays from some of the newer acts. And even better, it goes by quickly. Not so quick that you missed it, but this album never overstays its welcome. Running up to 44 minutes, it gets in, rocks the socks off of your house demon, and gets out with you wanting to hit the replay button to experience it again. Be warned though, this album is not going to be for those who aren't already uh, accustomed to the heavy metal singing style, to which that I have to say, even then, if you're unwilling to check out this album because you have a problem with high scream singing vocals, you're missing out on some really good shit. And if this is what Ronnie Romero can promise for future outputs, I'm definitely on board for the long haul. It's a strong 14.5 out of 15. I cannot recommend more that you jump on board as well. There may be too many lies and too many masters out there, but never too many good times to find. Yeah, Blackbriar has a release too, and yes, I'm very happy about this one. A Dark Euphony is the name, their sophomore uh, release from September 29th. Also, fun fact, I got a chance to talk to them too, and I am geeking out a little bit about that. Be ready for them soon enough. This album was a hell of a surprise to find. Not just because I've been a fan of these guys since college, but because this album feels so different from what they've put out before. And I love surprises of that kind, but I was kind of floored by what I was to find with this album. First up, this is a darker kind of symphonic metal album than we've come to expect from these guys. Anybody who's more accustomed to their big hit Until Eternity from a few years back, you'll be shocked to hear the sinister kind of vibe and tone that they've taken up here. No, Zorakok isn't a demon growling on this one yet, but her siren-like melodies are taking on a more dark fantasy vibe with the rest of the band joint in tow. From the moment an unwelcome guest starts, you get an idea of just the type of dark fairy tale that's being told here. You know how most fairy tale stories we grew up with are based on stories that have much darker undertones than you may have realized or just or objectively darker than you may have remembered? Like, say, Red Riding Hood, Hansel and Gretel, Jack and the Beanstalk, shit, even Snow White. Yeah, this album is what those darker original stories would sound like if they were symphonic metal. But instead of fairy tales, how about Wendigos and Sin Eaters? You know, 
cuddly stuff. And all that combined gives you an album filled to the brim with some stunningly ghastly metal that you just won't want to put down. Even the singles of Cicada, My Soul's Demise, Crimson Faces can give you an idea just how good this album is going to be once you finally dive in. And maybe, maybe this won't be for everyone. After all, some people, usually they can't listen to some higher singing voices for whatever fucking reason. I'm, it's totally fine. But I will say, those people are missing out tremendously. I may have been surprised listening to this album how dark these guys got compared to a love song like Until Eternity, but I am glad to hear this transformation. A stellar and very deserving 15 out of 15. Yes, I'm not even joking about this. Maybe I'm fanboying a little bit here, but as so far, right now, this is a contender for album of the year at the very least. Maybe not at the top, we'll have to wait and see what happens, maybe it could be, but at least on the list. But of course, that's my opinion, and whether it's Blackbriar, Ronnie Romero, or any of the Bandcamp Friday submissions, I want to hear your opinions. And of course, once again, thanks to everyone who submitted their albums for Metal Robot Bandcamp Friday. Know what albums I should take a rusty pickaxe to? I mean, take a look at next. Bad albums beware. Request them anytime online, and you can hear your favorites hacked to pieces. I mean, discussed. Why do I keep doing that? Discussed right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. You're listening to MRP. Moving on. Tonight, let's dive into the brutal death metal world with a Canadian powerhouse going only by Augurium. Their new album is Unearthly Will, and it's out now wherever you get your headbanging goodness. And we're joined by the band's founder and only remaining original band member, uh, CJ, to talk all about what happened to this band that forced them into disbanding, plus this new album, of course, that's got to be talked about. Oh, and also the Jeopardy theme. There's more context to it, I promise. Uh, but I'm just going to leave it like that, that little nugget right at the door as we get into it. In the meantime, let's welcome into the server database, CJ of Augurium on the Metal Robot Podcast. <laughs> CJ, welcome to the Metal Robot Podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's good to hear. And uh, like we were t funny, we were just talking a second ago uh, off uh, before I hit record. You just yeah. had your hometown show. Is that correct? Yeah, the first one in almost five years. Yeah, yeah. And how'd that go? Oh my god! Like I, <laughs> I'm still processing it, man. Like I've never had that form of response locally for our stuff, and it was insane. Like I, I still can't process it. Like that actually happened. <laughs> Absolutely unreal. Well, it sounds like you guys had at least had a had a hell of a time. You were telling me that you that you're still feeling the effects the next morning. <gasps> Oh God, oh, dude, I, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've all been there. We've all been there. Um, okay. So, uh, for one thing I like to do with all, with any of the, of the artists and yeah. bands that come on the show for the first time yeah. is to give a, a brief rundown about who you are and, uh, who the band is for those who are unaware of Augurium. So I'm, uh, CJ, I'm the rhythm guitar player. I, I guess you could say founder at this point, because I'm the only OG left. Uh, um, our current lineup is Logan Barlow. He is lead guitar. I've got Taylor McDonald, who is our drummer. Reed, I cannot say his bloody last name. We just say <laughs> That's literally his handle for Instagram. And then I've got Yanni Pantalopoulos. 
who is our vocalist. And when did you guys start up the band? So I started Augurium in, I believe it was the summer of 2015. Mm-hmm. So quite, a, quite a while ago. Um, I think technically like the band's been around for about eight years, but we were disbanded, quote unquote, for two years and then right. secretly formed again for the, another two years. And now it's back. And so like the band's formation 2015, that was, from what I understand from when I was stalking your band uh that was high school wasn't it yeah so i graduated 2014 mm-hmm. um we were we were kind of forming that stuff like the, the guys i originally formed it with i had played in other bands throughout high school and uh yeah essentially it was a high school band but it was it was like a year after we graduated i i thought that part was pretty interesting mostly because i i actually graduated high school in like 2015 and i oh, remember really? Yeah. So I remember from that, but I remember from that time that from at my school, the musical environment was not band friendly. <laughs> like oh, it was very much. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Cause, cause for me, I don't know if this was the same for you, but for me, there were like most of the kids in my school, it was either a lot of mainstream pop or mainstream YouTube songs or, or rap and hip hop. There was, there was like no room for rock and metal, which was, not a great environment to start any bands if you were trying to, but also like it became like I was one of the few metalheads still in the school. Did you have a similar situation? Yeah, honestly, it was very similar. Like we had a, um, I don't know what the hell you'd want to call it. It was kind of like a, a thrash or die kind of uh, crew. Mm-hmm. We we're all big into thrash and death metal, and we kind of just stuck to ourselves. But it it worked out fine. There was a lot of preps and or mainstream pop people rap all that stuff. So we were definitely the odd ones out. <laughs> but I was I was I was fine with it. You know, like we had our own crew. It's it'd be different if there was no one else like me. Then it would have mm. been uh, vastly different. But it was it was positive. So I I don't really have any complaints about it personally. Oh, oh yeah, that was like ten years ago. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nowadays everything is so fucking different um so but uh, but considering that you guys nice like you you said you were like uh, you were into thrash metal and and death metal and considering your love for these kinds of styles um what were what were some of the musical and non-musical inspirations that have shaped the sound of augurium so that's that's a bit of a loaded question because uh, <laughs> oh very loaded because uh actually our our first two releases they were uh I, I guess you would say they're more like old school death metal sounding. At least that's what the production was like. Sure. Um, so the influences on that would be artists such as Belfagor. Uh, Freck. I'm trying to not curse, by the way. I'm, I'm watching my mouth the best I can for this. You clearly, uh, you've clearly never listened to my fucking show before, no, have you? I haven't. <laughs> I, I, Welcome. I, I, <laughs> oh, so I'm good to curse. Yes, to yes, we're yes, okay. we're not we are not governed by CRTC. In fact, I don't think they know we exist for the time being. So we're good. Shit, because I, I curse like a bloody sailor, and like I've done so many interviews over the last couple of weeks where I have said fuck and. See you next Tuesday, and it's just not. Crazy. <laughs> um, anyways, go, going back, um, so a lot of our earlier shit was old school, uh, death metal sound, even even some slam bands like Cranium and Cerebral Incubation. Um, so our, our biggest influences in that aspect were bands that sound completely different to what our game is now, and 
I can't really cite any non-metal influences on it aside from like maybe some lyrical content where it's like sad stuff. So like 1975, I, I was obsessed with mm. them when we were doing Unhallowed, the album before Unearthly. So I, I got some inspiration for that. But uh, the new sound is actually a sound I've been trying to create. Uh, let me close this window. It's a little <laughs> Um, (laughs) style (laughs) the new style is stuff I've been trying to create for a long time and I just was never able to put all the pieces together to do it myself until this new lineup specifically Mm -hmm. uh, my league guitar player Logan came into the fold because he's he's just like me we love symphonic shit we love black and death metal honestly a, a huge huge influence for this album in particular was Lauren Ashore Mm-hmm. I did read that actually. Yeah. yeah and as soon yeah. as, as soon as I heard the first track, by the way, yeah, immediately it came true. Like no fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't want people to think we're ripping them off because technically we were writing this shit before they blew up. Right. There's still main influences for sure. Same with like septic flesh, like septic flesh was huge for this album. Yeah, no, I can definitely tell uh, just by listening to it. And the and yeah, the album as a whole. Like I got a chance to listen to it, and for those who are unfamiliar with what we're talking about, Unearthly Will, uh, the album that just came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah. If you haven't checked it out yet, go check it out because it actually is a. It's a just listen to it this morning. It's a fucking heavy album, and I cannot get enough of this symphonic elements that you threw. It's very gothic. I think was yeah one of the one one of the terms I kept coming back to as I was listening to it, um, and that's the kind of stuff I, that I, I fuck with, man. It's good shit. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it very much. That's, that's like, what I want to hear. I want people to enjoy it. <laughs> oh yeah. And, uh, you mentioned earlier as well. Uh, and I think you mentioned this on another interview as well with, uh, with pipe man radio that you, oh, that you wow. guys, that you guys actually disbanded for a little bit. Now uh, trying yeah. to get a handle on the, on the timelines here. Was this before or after unhollow descendants? So unhollowed would have been, uh, summer of 2018. And yeah. we actually went through a lineup. It's so dramatic, unfortunately. Right. A lot of drama. Um, we actually went through a, a heavy lineup change. Essentially, all of the unhallowed lineup. Um, they left before that tour for that album. Like I think we lost our guitar player and bass player. Mm. And then we had to get a bunch of guys. And then by the end of or the very beginning of 2019, that lineup was gone. And it was all the new people. Like Logan, my current guy, he was a part of the last lineup before we disbanded. Um, but yeah, we, we, I think we kept going for about a year. Just like, I think it was a year on Hallowed was out and then we called it quits. Oh, shit. Unfortunately, I didn't want to, but yeah, yeah. sometimes shit just needs to simmer for a little while. Right. And, and I know that you've mentioned and that uh, a lot of it was a lot of drama. And I think you also mentioned mental health was a reason. And don't worry, I won't have you go into too depth, too in depth with the specifics yeah. here because it's not important. Yeah. But I, I, am, I am curious to know if uh, if because of the timeline, it was that did this happen? You said it a year after 2018. So the pandemic wouldn't have had a role in that at all. It had nothing to do with it. OK, like, uh, it, it's interesting what it was. And again, I'm not going to going to specifics for respect of previous members. Right. Of course. Uh, there was just a lot of uh, inner tor- turmoil and mm-hmm. people just weren't happy with certain things. And then I, I 
again, I'm the OG guy. I've been every lineup and we've, we've had our fair share of people for almost 10 years mm-hmm. and it kind of just took its toll on me to the point where it was more of a chore than fun. Oh, I hate when yeah. that happens, dude. Like I, I felt that I actually felt that because, mm-hmm. uh, because before I started doing metal robot, like this is not really music related, but before I started doing metal robot, I was running a gaming YouTube channel. Uh, okay. Yeah. And after a while, it just turned into one of those things where it became a chore, like you like you were saying, because every yeah. time I turned on the console or the like whatever I was playing on is almost like I have to record something now. It's this is the whole purpose of why I'm gaming now. It's like, no, why the fuck did you do that? So I dude, I felt that in my soul. Well, when you said that. Exactly. And like, I guess to kind of put it in perspective a little bit more technically when we disbanded. Aside from what we've currently done, like this, this run, this album, this lineup is blown my expectations out of the water. Like I, I'm still processing the reactions we're getting. It's nuts. But before we disbanded, we were like, we had big ass tour offers with artists I fucking love. And I would have never dreamed of playing with. And we just, I wasn't excited for it. And that's, that's, that's when I knew it was a problem is like, I'm offered to go on Western Canadian runs, East Canadian runs with bands. I'm like, holy fuck. Like this, this is what I've been trying to do for 10 years. But I was just like, I, I don't want to, but I, I you know what I mean? Like subconsciously you, you want to, but just my, yeah. my mental state at the time is like, I can't cause like, I'm going to try it and it's going to fall apart. And I can at least say, um right now everything we've done like this whole tour the whole writing process with the album it was seamless it was flawless and it was healthy as fuck so what what were the things that you took away from that experience though like did you end up uh making changes beyond just the lineup making changes to how you write how you uh look at things like what was the mindset that that you ended up adopting <laughs> so i think one of the biggest aspects that specifically helped me is I was always one of the main songwriters like always and I was always stressing about this stressing about that right um, one of the biggest aspects for this new stuff is I didn't do majority of the writing this time so uh I think Inceptus Mysteria and Sanguine are one of the only mean ones I had mean writing in that must have been a hell of a load off like that much. absolutely dude absolutely because like i'm i'm so used to being the one and like not to discredit previous members everyone has a a, a credit here or there but i just mm. i was always the guy um logan stepped up to the plate and he wrote like a good six of the eight songs so not to mention he did all the orchestral composition he did uh the original drums just to get the song going. And he, he, he helped me a fuck ton because mm-hmm. he was able to put this idea we had and he made it come to life. So like, I, <laughs> I'm never going to not give him credit. Like he's going to listen to this. And he's like, okay, cool. Thank you for, thank you for saying mm-hmm. that. But the dude is a, a, a monster guitar player. He is a brilliant composer. What was it? What was it? Sorry. I can't think of the bloody word. Uh, composer <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's the one yeah, yeah exactly yeah i'm <laughs> i'm probably gonna do that a few times throughout this little fucking thing here but that's that's probably the biggest one but we also i i always strive for uh 
very transparent communication within the band. Mm. And unfortunately that was not always met or at least towards me, I would give it, it would come back and it caused a lot of inner turmoil. So this lineup, I, I said from the get go, like before I got the guys involved, before we even hit on the tour, like there's going to be no bullshit. If there's a problem, we talk it out. And at the end of the day, we're trying to do something we all love. And we've spent two years in secret doing this. Let's fucking make it happen. And man, the tour was fucking seamless. Like I, I that last tour I did was so chaotic and dramatic. Mm-hmm. I did not know what to expect with this, but it, it blew my expectations out of the water. Well, I'm glad things have finally started to like, uh, come together in a way that yeah. that made made things interesting again. Uh, but I, one thing I do actually want to point out because I think because this is, was another thing you mentioned with Pipeman Radio. And while we're here, I gotta ask why the Jeopardy theme? <laughs> like I I love it, but also like it, there's no way that song choice was accidental. Please give more context here. <laughs> well, so like technically the the that song being played had nothing to do with my selection so essentially <laughs> what happened and it, it's kind of funny because we just played that same venue and the same sound guy was there and i asked him like you're the jeopardy guy right and he's like i don't know what you're talking about like i broke a string on stage and you started playing jeopardy theme he's like oh, okay yeah don't do that again it didn't happen this time so we're yeah good. <laughs> the story is is we were playing uh I think it was uh UFR festival. I don't even know what the hell that stands for, but it was a, a metal festival in Edmonton, Alberta. At the time I did not have backup guitars and I was a cheapskate. I really didn't like changing my strings because I had uh it was a seven string Floyd Dean Razorback. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know anything about Floyd Roses. I, yeah, well, I saw you have a guitar and stuff, so maybe yeah, I, a I, general idea. Yeah, I got a couple of guitars in the back. Uh, so I have an idea. I have a picture in my mind, uh, but it's not like a guitar I'm f- most familiar with. You so, know what I mean? So well, here, I'll give you a good example. So my main, my main fucking guitar here, it's got a Floyd on it. You cannot restring it very nicely. You have no. to lock it. it. It's a process, and I despise the shit out of it. Whereas like a string through, you just slide it in, tighten it around the post, you're good to go. Right, yeah. Uh, so the, the the problem with that was, is didn't have a backup guitar. That's, that's, that's problem number one. Strike one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't change strings before. Those strings were like three months old. Oh. So I broke, uh, I believe it was like the high E or one of the the two higher strings and i broke it mid song thankfully it was like the last 30 seconds <coughs> pardon me my throat is so rough from that tour man yeah uh, no. i broke it and i quickly ran to the guitar case i started to restring it and again it's it's not easy i had to clip it i had to get the saddles in and it wasn't fun and the ironic part is is it was the wrong string Oh, so I'm sitting here. I'm trying to tune it up and he puts the Jeopardy theme on and it literally like it was it felt like I was taking an hour, but it was only about five minutes. But you don't want to do that mid performance. It's embarrassing as shit. And I'm very thankful. No one but me really said anything. (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the context. So no, so nobody noticed that you, that you strung up the one, the wrong string. 
like at all? No one noticed. No, no one, unless they were being nice. Unless they were being nice to me. Yeah, there's like this, yeah, like, no, no one like, noticed. Like, Shh, don't say anything. Don't say anything. It's okay. You'll figure it out. Just watch. Now that I've pointed that out live. Not live, but now that I've pointed it out in this interview, I guarantee there's going to be like maybe one, maybe two people who were at this show. They're going to come out of the woodwork out of nowhere just to go. Yeah, yeah, we did notice. We noticed. We noticed it 100 percent just to show off. They're like, I don't know, musically trained ears or some bullshit like that. I don't fucking know. The new album is Unearthly Will. Augurium is the guest, CJ specifically, the founding member, and he will return with us in the next episode to continue talking about this holy shit fucked brutal album. Coming up, the confusion in Canadian media right now, specifically the online Canadian media world, and Dawn of Existence returning. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. Stick around. We'll be right back. 15 plus artists, multiple cultures, multiple languages, one almost unpronounceable name. What the fuck does it say? It's pronounced homiusius. How? There's 20 O's. It's Latin. What'd you expect? The ultimate collaboration project of 2022. Homiusius, a symphonic, death, blackened, thrashing, grooving core fest. What genres? Ever wanted to take Metal Robot interviews on the go, but had this happen? Dead? I charged this last night! For fuck's sakes! Ah! While we can't solve a bad phone battery, you can take the interviews you love with you wherever on MRP Throwbacks. Be sure to hit save for when you want this on your evening drive to the venue. It's just something that I wanted to do for a long time, and then I bamboozled the government out of a ton of money and said, buy me this harp. MRP Throwbacks, only on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome back to the Metal Robot Podcast. Glad to have you along, and I hope you're enjoying the metal that we've had so far, because now we've got to pivot a little bit and talk about Canada, the home of me, and the place you only really think about when someone accidentally says, A, out of habit. That's when the jokes really start coming out. Specifically, we're going to be talking about Canadian online media. Now, if you've been following Canadian YouTube or TikTok this past year, you've probably heard some things about Bill C-11, which is an amend amendment uh, to Canada's existing Broadcasting Act. In a nutshell, the, this new bill is designed to have streaming platforms like YouTube, TikTok, uh, Spotify, and many others to promote more Canadian and Indigenous content, whether it be videos or podcasts, the works, and making them easier to find in Canada for Canadian users. And you can probably imagine this bill has done such a good job of uniting online Canadians to praise a bill that is designed to try and help them grow. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't keep that face going. I, I'm fucking with you. It's, it, it's so hated by everybody. <laughs> uh, seriously, you could not get more hate directed to this bill unless it was introduced in our parliament by a Nazi. Like, on that note, can you actually imagine that happening? A Nazi in parliament? That, that joke doesn't work because it's too ridiculous. It would never happen. Oh my God, we actually did that. Well, I was kidding. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Now, I know some of you are listening and questioning, Tom, 
Why does this matter? Why should I care? After all, first of all, this bill is already signed into law at the time of this recording and of this release. Not to mention, it's not really a metal story, it's a Canadian politics story. And even then, I know some of you are not living in Canada. Seriously, I've seen the analytics. I, I know I have audience members in uh, America. I know I have audience members in Europe, some in Asia, Middle East, Africa, like maybe a couple in Africa. I don't know how many are actually in Africa. But to say the least, there's plenty of you that are not in Canada. So why should you care? Well, if you watch YouTube channels who are Canadian, critics of this initiative say that it's going to wipe them off the face of the earth, as Glenn Fricker of Spectre Sound Studios explains. The CRT's own homepage states there are many other ways to make Canadian and Indigenous content easier to find, which could include promotional campaigns featuring content on the service's homepage. That doesn't sound like the free flow of information, that sounds like forced placement to me. There are so many great Canadian creators out there. Andrew Huang, Samurai Guitar, Nick Nocturnal, Cole Rowland, Steve Terryberry, and then there's Peter McKinnon. That guy is next level. But if the CRTC continues down this misguided path, I think the one conversation we're all gonna have is, hey, uh, whatever happened to Peter McKinnon? And if that's the case for him, well, the rest of us are gonna be completely fucked. It'll be like the death of CKLW all over again, but on a massive worldwide scale. Wow, that sounds exaggerated, I'll be frank. <laughs> like, okay, maybe this is just my radio background talking here, but, Bill C-11 is internet CanCon. That's it. Like, that didn't cause, like, the original CanCon didn't cause the death of music artists when that was introduced way back when. So why would this one do that now? What am, what am I missing here? And it, look, regardless of how ridiculous this sounds on the surface, these concerns are real. People are concerned about what this bill is going to do now that it's been uh, introduced and passed into law. And there are, and if, if they are to be believed, this could have widespread ramifications for the whole of the internet, not just in Canada. And that's what we're talking about tonight, Bill C-11. What exactly is it? Why do people hate it so much? And who is actually affected by this? And let's start off with what this thing is. And to do that, we need to actually go back a few decades. Back in 1991, the CRTC, which, for those who are in the United States, is basically Canadian FTC, they introduced the Broadcasting Act to leverage TV and radio stations to promote CanCon, short form for Canadian content. The idea was to help Canadian artists stand out easier alongside the booming American music scene, which dominated the airwaves before this bill was introduced. Seriously, I cannot stress enough how hard it was in, back in the day uh, for Canadian music icons that we know today to compete with the likes of Metallica, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, Kiss, Van Halen, even Bon fucking Jovi. But this act, what it did was it gave the CRTC power to enforce radio stations and TV stations to play 33.3% Canadian content each hour. So for example, what I mean by this is if you were running a Canadian radio station in the 90s and you had, or let's say roughly 10 songs, 10 songs in 60 minutes of radio content, that means at least three to four of those songs 
had to be Canadian artists or songs written by Canadian artists. There was an entire list of requirements as to what uh, qualified as CanCon, and we're not really going to get into the specifics here because that is a uh, different debate, and honestly, it's not that difficult to really think about what Canadian content actually means. But the, the, the end result of CanCon, it's undeniable. Thanks to CanCon, Canadians got to enjoy the likes of Gordon Lightfoot, Tragically Hip, Sloan, Bare Naked Ladies, Big Wreck, and that's just looking at the rock world. If you were to find any, if you were listening back in the day to any metal radio programs, then you might have heard stuff like, uh, like uh, uh, Anvil, Voivod, Cryptopsy, Cataclysm, Strapping Young Lad, just to name a few. Maybe. I don't know. I wasn't alive back then, so that's a bit of a... <sighs> I'm already losing points in this one, but it, the, the effect is still the same. It seems great. This was a great thing to have. Now, it wasn't perfect, of course. If you were a, say, a program director for a Canadian rock radio station, you might have actually had a hard time finding on-the-rise Canadian content that would have fit your format and boosted the sales of your station. Not to mention, of course, the rise of FM radio at the time to compete amongst the dominated AM radio market, it did not help your chances. But for many other stations, CanCon helped bring forth an abundance of Canadian music that many Canadians, and even some Americans, depending on how close to the border they were, were able to be exposed to. They heard some great new Canadian artists, and it helped those artists gain a footing and compete amongst the American audience. And now we fast forward to today, Bill C-11 wants to do pretty much the same thing. But in this, this version of the bill is in the age of the online streaming uh, platforms of YouTube, TikTok, and even podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Not to mention it also, uh, what this amendment does is it also is now including uh, some... <clears throat> Uh, not just Canadian content, but it's now including Canadian indigenous content since, uh, well, I, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the shit that we did up here way back when, and let's be honest, some people still do it today, uh, but some Canadians will tell you we've kind of got to reconcile for some shit. Just let's leave it at that. All of that. It sounds great on paper. So what's the problem? Well, there are real problems that this bill presents, and I, I will get to that in a second, but first, I kind of want to debunk some of the myths that are out there about this, because some of these are wild, and some of them were even being peddled by YouTube and TikTok themselves. First of all, of course, there is the usual bullshit that you'll hear from a lot of the far-right wingers, uh, and some of who just hate the far-left in general, but also just cannot stand our prime minister. I don't blame you, but this is ridiculous. This bill was has been compared to Soviet-era totalitarianism, and that this is going to force Canadian content down your throat. Even though you never asked for it, it's going to censor content that you do want to see and force you to watch stuff you don't want to see. And to that, I have to ask, what bill did you read? Again, it's Internet CanCon. That's it. So unless it was written by Karl Marx himself, this is not going to force you to do a goddamn thing. All it would probably do is show you some Canadian channels that you might be interested in on the homepage. If the average YouTube homepage features 
10 videos at the top of the page. Uh, and assuming the original CanCon rules apply of 33.3% CanCon, that means, again, much like our radio analogy earlier, three to four videos might be Canadian, giving you six to seven that aren't. So if you are completely against seeing content from Canada, you still have quite a few options that you can click on instead. You're not being forced to do anything. Now, on top of that, some have said that it's going to, uh, if I, I get to the page here, some said that it's going to uh, force Canadian content creators to make more content about Canada. Now, I know this episode is not helping my cause here, but no, that's not how it works. Canadian YouTubers are not going to be forced to dedicate three of their videos a month uh, to why the beaver is a gorgeous derpy devourer of wood or why Canadian geese are sassy demons and we should bow to their will or end the world. Let's be honest, I'm sure those videos do exist, but you would not be forced to make them if you are a Canadian content creator. There's concern that uh, promoting these videos will hurt Canadian YouTubers more than help. This is something that YouTube was also, uh, uh, the bullshit that YouTube was peddling as well, and what a lot of YouTubers in Canada also bought. If YouTube is forced to put videos in front of the wrong viewers, they won't get the clicks, which will rank Canadian YouTubers lower across the entire globe. To be fair, there are concerns in that vein, which we'll get into in a moment. But to be clear, to be clear, that's not how any of this works. Forced to see it or not, if it looks interesting enough, users on their own are going to click on it. Or if it doesn't look interesting, they're not going to click on it. If this bill works in the way that it says it will, it'll mean that Canadian content creators might find more inventive ways to make videos uh, or package them with better thumbnails and titles to stand out. They'll make their videos better as a result if this is to be the case. Yeah, no one likes being forced fed anything, but if something is interesting enough, people are going to click it. And again, you don't have to click on them if you don't want to. I cannot stress enough the amount of choice that Canadian users actually have in this vein. Saying that this is going to hurt Canadian creators and that this is uh, just censorship, it's the equivalent of me walking into a record store, seeing a row with Anvil, Cataclysm, and Strapping Young Lad albums among Metallica, Cannibal Corpse, and Creator Records, and then proceeding to flip tables, shout censorship for not including enough non-Canadian metal, and demanding to speak to the manager. You hear how dumb that sounds? Yeah, no shit. But even with all of that, there is some concerns to be discussed here. Not the bullshit I mentioned earlier, that's bullshit, but some genuine criticisms that the CRTC doesn't seem to fully grasp with this bill. And the big one is the sheer emptiness this bill presents. Like, not even kidding, it is so vague in its guidelines and rules. I wouldn't be surprised if YouTube had a hand in writing this thing. Oh dear God, you know how vague YouTube can be with their terms of service. Yeah, that's this thing in a nutshell. Because importantly, it does not specify what CanCon qualifies as in this medium, nor does it specify the amount of CanCon that a platform needs to promote. I've been making all the arguments in its defense with the assumption that the original CanCon rules would apply, but that's not clear if that, that is the case, if the rules are carrying over or if there's new guidelines to work better with these platforms. And even if it was clear, 
how exactly are these platforms supposed to tweak their black boxes of algorithms? Because as any programmer will tell you, changing some of the code is not as simple as inputting the string if viewer interested and Canadian, then display. It requires adjusting hypothetical dials amongst thousands, millions of hypothetical dials and praying to the gods, the old ones and the new ones, that it doesn't break a line of code somewhere in the sequence that might be very important not to break. And even then, even if you can adjust all the hypothetical dials in all the right ways and everything goes smoothly, there's the concern of what will be shown. I shot down those concerns about being force-fed content that you don't want to see, but I was focusing mostly on the nationality. What about the content itself? If my YouTube feed, for example, is geared towards showing me podcasts, music, gaming, comedy, and some of the latest subscribed videos, are the Canadian recommendations going to be the same? Frankly, I don't know. It's not like radio stations where uh, it's folk, you're able to pick songs to appeal to a broad yet narrow target audience of a bunch of people. The algorithm is designed so that it specifically can uh, show you specifically videos that you want to watch so that you can stay on the platform much longer. But Bill C11 is so vague, it could probably just have YouTube's show me, say, 33.3% crypto channels. I mean, no, this is not what I want to watch. I don't give a shit about crypto. But these channels are Canadian, so close enough? And even then, even if you can sort out uh, all of that, get Canadian content within your interests and uh, displaying it on the homepage, quality is another concern that is not going to be guaranteed here. Because even without pesky Canadian laws dictating what gets shown to, uh, to the viewer and what doesn't, the algorithms still uh, cannot determine what's actually considered quality content to you. It has an idea, don't get me wrong. For example, YouTube knows that uh, what a quality video might be based on the views that people, not views specifically, but uh, the videos that people are clicking on and they're watching all the way through or close to all the way through without clicking away. The longer viewers watch, the more YouTube is going to recommend that to people who are interested in this type of content. But that doesn't always guarantee you'll get something that you're going to like. Then you add in Bill C11 and you have the same problem, but now Canadian. Honestly, that's not really much of a uh, gripe against Bill C11. That's just gripe against everything in general. Humans suck. Or maybe not. I have no idea. Maybe everything I said is complete bullshit. And that's the problem. This bill is vague. It's clear on what it wants to do and what its hopeful result is going to be, but it's not clear on what even qualifies for this type of rule, for this new law, or how it's even going to get that done. And what we haven't even gotten into for this, uh, another critique, is that CanCon in general is kind of outdated by this point, and it would even work on the internet in a way that uh, radio and TV had it work. Because radio and TV is a one-way communication. They broadcast to you, you listen. But YouTube is a two-way. You interact with YouTube, they show you stuff, and you can sort about on the platform. So even if anything was clear with Bill C11, it might not even work 
anyways. Even then, it doesn't really matter at this point. The bill has been in place for about a couple months now, so the CRTC has already been enforcing it and its rules for some time now. You know what's really dumb about it, though? You know what's really dumb? After I talked about all the problems, I talked about all the conspiracies and all, we got went through all the yelling and protesting that went on about it. You know what this bill actually has done to YouTube, to TikTok, to you? Fucking nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even kidding. YouTube hasn't changed much. And I'm still, like, I'm still clicking on videos that I want to watch. I'm not even 100% sure if some of the videos I'm seeing are even CanCon. TikTok, I'm not on TikTok, I'll be completely honest, so I'm making this up. But uh, TikTok might be showing more Canadian creators, but... Really? Who gives a shit? It's another few videos in the daily doom scroll of our lives. And creators in Canada, noticeably, have not died out like it was predicted. In fact, it's not even clear if there were any major changes at all, because in reality, this whole controversy is a red herring. It was blown way out of proportions. When I said Bill C-11 is internet CanCon, I fucking meant it. It's about as benign as poutine with shredded cheese instead of cheese curds. Now, did we ask for shredded cheese? No, we wanted curds, but it's not going to affect the overall taste as much as we bitched about it. So why was it such a big deal to begin with? Why were everyone bitching about it? My theory about this is because a bunch of tech giants were jumping at their own shadows. They stirred up shit with the Canadian populace with bullshit claims and misinformation and right-leaning media uh, and voters ate it up trying to find any chance to uh, critique the current liberal government for anything that they're trying to pass. All because an organization regulating radio and TV stations was trying to maintain relevance in the age of the smartphone. And to be fair, this nothing bill can be a real critique of the liberal government. I know there's plenty of people on the right who are listening to this and they're foaming at the mouth ready to devour me for my insanity that I'm spelling here. So let me be clear. This nothing bill is the critique that you can use against them if you really want to, but only because the government fought to pass this nothing bill instead of fighting to pass a something bill. Seriously, this is coming from somebody who is center-left on the political spectrum, not that it really mattered. We do have real problems that we need to deal with. We have a housing crisis, wildfires were ravaging the country during the summer, and inflation is, is way up, prices have not gone down. And those things are real concerns that the federal government could do something about, but either hasn't or has mostly deflected to, to do something like this, focusing on nothing bills and claiming to do something. That is a real critique that you, if you hate this government, could use against them. Making a fuss about a nothing bill because of its contents and what it might do all it does is hurts your side's legitimacy. It also distracts from the real issues that needs solving. So what's my point in all this? Well, rest assured to my international audience, by the way, did you enjoy hearing about uh, something that will never affect you at all? I'm really sorry about that. I, I really thought this was going to bore some tainted fruit for a bit, but uh, thanks for listening anyways.
But to you, nothing really is going to change here. This is a Canadian thing more than anything. And to my Canadian listeners, uh, here's the deal. This is not a bill that's going to do anything at all. And that's something to be to be considered if you think it was going to do something um, on both sides. Try to find your way into the middle where it makes more sense. Put it this way. If you're viewing this bill as a sign that the Canadian socialist Red Dawn is upon us, you should probably calm the fuck down. Or if you're hoping this bill will get you your first million views on YouTube and TikTok, maybe lower your expectations by a, about a million views. Could this bill help? I mean, maybe. It's a, still a bit early to tell. But could it hurt? Oh, probably not. Again, it's a nothing bill. If we can't agree on that statement, at the very least, we can agree that it's better this was presented by the government and not by a Nazi in the House of Commons. I still cannot believe we actually did that. What is this country? But of course, that's my opinions. And if you're a Canadian user, I want to hear from you. Have you seen any changes to your feeds? Are you concerned about the bill? Does it really matter to you at all? I'd love to hear from you on this one. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. And finally tonight, let's check in with Dawn of Existence. Last time they were here was in the last episode, last month as well. Oh dear God. Uh, where they were talking about that new album, Ancient Arts, the process and the sound that they wound up settling on when they were making it. And in this episode, I wanted to try and dive a bit deeper into the tracks on Ancient Arts because there seems to be, from my perspective at least, an element of storytelling. And I wanted to get uh, into the tracks, figure out what the stories are, what their takes on what these stories are and what is being told. So let's see what they have to say about this. This is Dawn of Existence Part 2 on the Metal Robot Podcast. The first one, the single Marble Garden, uh, it explores the concept of a lost golden age of civilization. So how did you approach uh, writing a song that blends fantasy and reality in, in such in such a way as this. So that song started off with a couple of riffs that I like put together. That was sort of like the seed for that one. And then I guess around that time I was reading, seeing some stuff uh, from like Graham Hancock's uh, uh, Chariots of the Gods, that kind of stuff. Very interesting, like uh, topics about uh, ancient civilizations that we've, forgotten about or they've been lost through time through cataclysm and uh that's just like a super interesting concept i know for for aster and i just the that whole topic so those riffs and then those things that i was interested in at the time just kind of came together and we wrote a song around it and what when you were writing the song was there at a point when you were looking into like because i know one of the one of the branches off of that is uh, the concept of ancient aliens. So instead of like looking into space for aliens, there's like, you know, the, the hypothesis of what if these early civil, what if we had, you know, aliens from way in the past who lived on earth, who were earthlings, were you delving into that concept at any point during the writing process? So for Marble Garden, it's not about aliens at all. It's no, I've, I kind of figured, yeah. Well, obviously, obvi about, yeah, yeah right. obviously, obviously not about like like aliens itself, but obviously the concept of like these uh, 
alien, we'll say, quote unquote, alien civilizations that used to live on Earth. So ancient, you know, ancient civilizations, essentially. Essentially, yeah. And then it was kind of based around methods, procedures, rituals, practices that assisted these ancient cultures in like building these huge monumental structures that we see, like the pyramids or, uh, ball deck and things like ball that, deck, yeah. stuff like that. All these unexplained, like, uh, architectural sites that cannot be explained. It's uh, kind of ties into that too. Now uh, the next song was toe up. Uh, it, 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 it brings in a complex story about mysterious deaths, government cover-ups, uh, X Files bullshit. Like, so what, can you discuss yeah. how you over, <laughs> how you approach the uh, crafting this narrative, like we so, saw in the song? So the funny thing is, when that song was written, um, the chorus that I had was actually kind of like a kind of a joke, like a uh, just something something to like keep in there, like a placeholder, essentially. So yeah. then, as the song came together, I realized, well, technically, this placeholder works with the concept that I was going with. So it actually just stayed in there. So the name of it, is, I mean, it started as a joke, but it actually worked out worked out for the, the concept of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's there's multiple things that are in that song, specifically that song. But yeah, with uh, almost like a cult, like multiple deaths in a cult. And then uh, instead of actually seeing what it was actually for, the government comes in to cover it up, really. That's the, that's the, the mo- most basic way of looking at that song. <laughs> Should we cue the X Files theme to play at some no, point during yeah. this? <laughs> now, definitely can. Yeah. So this this next one actually uh, that we're gonna kind of move forward in the album a little bit uh, to the, my personal fucking favorite song name in existence, Satan Space Lord. It seems to <laughs> so uh, so. There's a lot of like it, it's talking about like the power of science and free thinking over like religious creeds, which I think yep. in metal is like what you have to do at some point in your metal career. So can you? It, how much of this may seem a bit personal, but how much of your personal views on the on this particular topic? How much did that influence the music? It goes quiet. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, the only reason is because I I took care of most of like the main riffs that you hear in the song. Yeah. yeah. I believe handled most of the lyrical content. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. Really with, uh, with my own personal beliefs. um, Honestly, the the idea of free will, that, that idea of free will and actually being able to like self-discover yourself really as we discover more in the universe it makes religion here on earth more pointless so the further the further that we discover like we know that there's obviously more things out in the universe so the more that we discover out there the less religion actually like matters here on earth yeah science yep and science yeah yeah. (laughs) science science and discovery yeah Bill Nye, the science guy. Uh, so, Votan, what in terms of this song? Then, what, like, were you trying to uh, to support these themes, or did the themes come after the the writing? No, the riffs came first. <clears throat> we had these the riffs for this song for a long while. Um, yeah, and eventually we were uh, able to add to those original couple of riffs. The first riffs you hear in the song. And actually, you you already had the you already had the name for the song. So when you told me the name of the song, I was like, bam, I already knew what I was going to, 
yeah. write about and, and talk about. So. Yeah, the riffs and the song name like basically came about at the same time. And then we added onto it and lyrics and vocals and stuff came came later. But you weren't trying to like like weave in the concept uh, of what was already going on. It was just something that, you know, you were just writing the song and every yeah. everything else came afterwards. Right. That maybe that maybe that might have actually possibly been the opposite when it came to tides. Can you discuss how like you use music to explore the complex philosophical ideas such as dualistic nature of mankind? So yeah, that one was similar, I guess, to Satan's Space Lord, where the okay. riffs kind of happen first. That isn't always the case, mm -hmm. but uh, that was another one like that, where I had a, the first couple of riffs is usually how I start off. Okay. And then uh, we'll usually develop the song more first before we start doing any kind of like lyrical content. Was there a point on this album specifically? What like Was there any songs on this album that you were like, oh, I want to try to write the instrumentation to fit the narrative? Or was it always like, you know, we have a bunch of riffs that kind of fit the theme. Let's combine them into this, into the song. I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, Aster, but I would say we usually start off with music first, more music first, and then yeah. kind of build the concept off of how the song is going and then things that we're just interested in or like things that we want to like talk about. That usually comes later, I would say. Yeah, I think the only real exception of that is Meet Me at the Stake, the, the final song on, on the album. That song was just very weird to me. I woke up one morning, had the song in my head, had the lyrics singing to it, and I got home, recorded it, and that song was done. Like, it was a, yeah. woke up, didn't even think about it, had the entire song, and it was it was done by, by the end of the day. Yeah, you sent me, like, the basis <laughs> of the song, and then I listened to it for like a few minutes and I wrote like the main like melody that you hear. Yeah, you had a little lead part on it. Yeah. That was a weird one. It came together. It was, very, it was weird. It came, wow. came together from the time I woke up to recording it that day and it was, it was done. I, what the fuck? Wow. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know how to respond to that. That is just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> By the end of the date, there's a song. Here we go. Let's yeah. put it on the album. And that, and that was the closer. I think that was actually a good way to close the album too. Uh, just in terms of the sonic scope of it, in terms of the, as well as the themes, it wraps all of them up in a, in a nice little bow, I think. Um, yeah. But uh, in terms of, in terms of like this entire album, there's a lot of, a lot of elements that go into it, a lot of different sounds for particular themes. Um, so uh, I think this question might be for Votan, but uh, I'm sure Esther might have something on this too. Are there any specific instruments or sounds that you use to create a particular mood or atmosphere in your music? Do you find yourself gravitating towards one instrument over another for, say, something like Marble Garden versus something like Satan Space Lord? I would say so. I think most of the instruments are pretty consistent throughout. We're not using anything like too crazy, uh, guitar, drums, bass, and then, um, yeah, some, some keys here and there, some 80 sounding keys here and there. I was going to say, you, you picked out the, uh, you picked out the keys and the first time I heard them, I mean, I, I immediately thought they sounded like, uh, old, uh, Dan Swano, um, from like, <laughs> uh, what is it? Um, Moon Tower, right? That's the Moon album. Tower, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when I heard that, I, that's exactly what I what I thought of. And they're what they're Solana Solana keys or the Arturia Solana keyboard. And yeah. honestly, like that that particular sound, I think 
now like fits our our sound like that's like that's like the keyboard sound that we're going to be going with just because it has it has a like an 80s sound to it but it also kind of has like a like a slightly ghostly sound to it at time yeah and then of course there's some orchestral stuff in there some a little bit choir as well yeah just kind of sprinkle in there here and there yeah but it's just like as needed as the song requires you know i mean it's not something we're just gonna like do for no reason well sure but in terms of like obviously nate you know you have the basis of guitars bass vocals uh and drums but do you find yourself especially with the guitars do you find do you find that you'll like maybe try different pedals different amp settings or different amps uh depending on the song most of the album is 5150 hm2 blends what else is on there yeah yeah so when we first started doing the demos i because I did all the production on on the um, uh, uh, on the album, and um, both of us uh, mixed it, and we ended up having having our drummer master it. But going into the production, I 100% had the idea in my head of what I wanted the guitars to sound like, even though I'm not like the the main guitar player. I <laughs> I, had, I had this idea that I figured that that he would like as well. So yeah, 5150 as the as the basis, um, we ended up using another older PB amp, a, um, a PB Ultra Plus as a as a blend, which it's technically a very similar amp, but the voicing is slightly different that we that we used. Yeah. And then on top of that, we had um, an HM2 that's blended back into it. So there's actually uh, what there's one, two, three. There's like four different guitar parts um, per side. So it kind of I mean, it's just like um, a lot of a lot of sound, a lot of tone that gets blended into into that guitar tone. Yeah, that's actually pretty smart. I know there's a lot of blending going on with guitar work and anywhere, really. I know one particular example I love is um, you guys. You guys ever hear hear? Um, uh, I forget the name of the album. Oh, uh, Opeth's Watershed by chance. Oh yeah. 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 Cool. yeah I, if you have any, if you have the chance, like take a look at like uh, per any like behind the scenes production videos, looking at the stems, they blend like two different guitars, both left and right. And it creates a fucking gnarly sound. I was not, <laughs> we have a few minutes here now. Uh, so I do want to bring in the most important question above all else. This is more important than anything we've talked about already. If you could be any cereal box character, who would you be? I'm big into cats right now. I just got a cat recently, so I'm going to go with like Tony the Tiger. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm, a cat, I'm a cat person right now. I was going to say so. Tony the Tiger. So if it's not that, I guess what like Lucky. Lucky's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, yeah. Sugar Lucky's Bear. Cool. You remember Sugar, Sugar Bear? I was going to say Sugar Bear. Yeah. <laughs> or Fuck yeah. All three: the Snap, Snap, Crackle, and Pop. Yeah. Ah, there you go. You know, I, for the first time, I think I'm actually glad that nobody jumped immediately on Count Chocula. I'm pretty happy that we did not get the stereotypical <laughs> metalhead picking the goth vampire. I'm pretty happy right. we didn't go down that <laughs> yeah, road. Right. So thank thank you, Aster. Thank you, Vof Notan, for coming on the show. Dawn of Existence, the new album is Ancient Arts. You can pick it up, I believe. Is it going to be on Bandcamp? If not, it's going to be on streaming platforms, I believe, correct? It'll be on both, yeah. It'll be on all streaming, and it'll be on our Bandcamp, yeah. All right. So while I still have you here for the for the last few minutes uh, here, why don't that anything that you want to shout out that hasn't already been shouted out already or anything really that you want to shout out? You have the floor. All yours. Stay tuned. Hope to see everybody uh, more in the future on YouTube out uh, on the road, potentially. Um, yeah. yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can get a get the rest of the band together instead of a, a permanent session drummer. Maybe we're, we're working on getting him as a 
as a drummer. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, as soon as we get a full band together, yeah, we're, we're definitely looking at, at playing, playing shows and performing. Hell yeah. I'm, I guarantee many people cannot wait to see how you adapt this fucking album into a live session. I can't wait to see that either. So guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks. That was Dawn of Existence talking about that new album. The new album, of course, is Ancient Arts. You can get it wherever you listen to music. Links, of course, also found in the podcast description. I'm curious to know as well if you've heard them before with this album and what you thought of their sound. Did you think that it was what the description said it was? That was kind of a big surprise that I found in the last episode. So I'm kind of curious to know your thoughts on it. I was still, I'm still kind of surprised by the sheer variety that was on display as a result of just all the collective stuff that's going on with it. Uh, but that's my take. Of course, do let me know yours. You just listened to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. With the Reign of Fire coming back, let's queue up that lineup for the next episode. Algerian returns to talk about Unearthly Will, and plus we get to hear about Too Many Lies, Too Many Masters, from the man himself, Ronnie Romero. And we'll be talking Taylor Swift and what metal musicians can learn from her. Yes, really. All this and so much more in the next episode. In the meantime, thanks for listening to the Metal Robot Podcast. You can follow the show on the internet, YouTube, Metal Robot Reviews, Facebook and Twitter at The Metal Robot, Instagram and threads at The Dot Metal Robot. Also, head on over to our online hub, TheMetalRobot.com, for all things Metal Robot. Special thanks to CJ of Augurium, Aster and Votan of Dawn of Existence, and to you for checking out this show whenever an episode finally comes out. I'm Tom McKay. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and I'll see you in the mosh pit next time. Have a good night. Thank you.